You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Go Wild. Now, Go Wild is the ultimate app for hunters and fishermen and all outdoor enthusiasts. Their mission is to craft and curate a community where outdoorsmen and outdoors women can engage, interact, and learn. There's no BS. There's no politics. Just good old wholesome conversation about what drives us as outdoor enthusiasts. Now, where can you find this app? You can find this app wherever you currently download your apps, or you can get more information on their website, timetogowild.com. Trust me when I say it's a fun app, and it's dedicated to men and women who just love the outdoors. So download the app today, play around with it, and I guess join the next big thing on social media. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 26, where we talk with Drew Rouse on his 2018 Colorado Archery Bull. Hello guys, how you doing? Hope you're having a good day. Adam Parr here with Transition Wild, coming at you live on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate you, love you, and hope you're out hunting. That's all that matters. I just wrapped up the 2018 archery season here in Colorado for elk, and you know it—it it is what it is. It, I'm not gonna say it was a bad year, but it wasn't a great year. <laughs> I didn't draw my bow back this year. I really didn't get have those close heart pounding encounters. Um, but you know, I—I I also had Dan Johnson and Ryan Iberg out hunting this year and I had a blast with them you know it's it's fun to kind of guide them and show them the ropes and and we called in a I called in a really good bull uh while they were hunting and you know that's a success in my eyes so even though I I didn't necessarily get any shots off or close counters I still had a great time I learned a lot you know called in my first bull elk screaming um you know, showed people the ropes. Uh, it was it was a fun season for sure. Could I have done more? Yeah, probably. But you know, at the end of the day, I was out there, and there's always next year, right? So, um, just wrap that up. It's it's uh, you know, it's sad that it's over, but at the same time, you know, like it's a grind. It you know, I've got I got stuff to do. I got to get back to work. I've got uh, let's see, a mule deer tag coming up here second season Colorado rifle so I'm gonna break out the rifle that I uh that I got a few years ago and and hopefully get a shot at something then so I've got that to prepare for a little little Nebraska whitetail in November and uh late season cow rifle after that so hopefully I'll put a little meat in the freezer this year that's the plan at least so um thanks again for following along I'm hoping to get a recap of the 2018 Colorado archery elk hunting season on the blog very soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, let's see what else. Oh, if you like what you're hearing, you like the podcast we're doing the last one I did with cliff gray before this episode. Um, we talked about archery elk hunting tactics and rifle elk hunting tactics. So if you've got a upcoming rifle hunt in Colorado, make sure you tune into that. That's a really informational episode. Um, appreciate you guys tuning into everything, all the episodes. So if you like what you're hearing, leave us a good review. Go to sportsmanization.com. You, su- you can subscribe there. Search us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, and uh, you can leave reviews on there. Much, much appreciated. And, you know, love to hear from you guys. So keep reaching out. Love to hear the emails. Love to get the messages, all that stuff. So keep doing you. Keep doing what you're doing and um, have a good season. Tag me in your posts. All right, so today on the show we have Drew Rouse. Of uh, We had him on the show previously. He's the owner of Real Game Calls. And uh, they're a Colorado-based company. They make elk calls, turkey calls, deer calls, uh, predator calls. But, you know, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, make sure you, you drop back to... Um, I don't know. I can't remember the number, but it was sometime this summer. Had Drew on, 
But um, today we're not talking, you know, a whole lot about the company per se, like we did in the first episode. We're really highlighting his 2018 archery elk hunting, and he killed an awesome bull on public land in Colorado. So we're retelling and reliving the moments of that hunt and preparation and some new stuff that got coming out and just talking a little bit about, you know, elk population and elk numbers, but really diving into that story of a sweet uh, seven by eight bull that he killed here just this past weekend, last couple days of the season. So really cool story. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get Drew Rouse on the line. All right, well, on the line with us now, we have Drew Rouse from Real Game Calls. How you doing today, Drew? Pretty good. A little bit worn out from the from the elk season, but it's a good kind of worn out, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> how about yourself? How, how was your season? Man, it was uh, it was quite the opposite that it has been in years past, you know, in 2016, I killed, um, my first bull first week ever of, of elk hunting. I thought I was, you know, something Mr. Cool <laughs> elk hunting is easy. And then last year I, uh, drew my bow back four times, missed a herd bull at 50. And then this year I didn't even draw my bow back once. It's been, it's been, uh, you know, pretty lackluster as far as the encounters, um, the bugling elk sightings, so it's just been a kind of a weird year. I, you know, I'm interested to hear how, kind of how your season went as well. But you know, for me, it was definitely, definitely a down year. I don't know if it has to do with the drought or what, but um, you know, it's still uh, fun. That's though. Pretty much what I heard. Yeah, that's pretty much what I heard. Everybody I talked to, I was at the meat processor tax service guys earlier, and he said that uh, he's had an unusually slow season. So I think it's been kind of like the moon phase has been off, and it's been really hot. So, and then there's not a lot of water this year. So it's just been a tough year. Yeah, for um, sure. You know. Yeah, and we, me and you were kind of talking about this, uh, what, last week or whatever, and I was kind of talking to my buddy about it as well, but it's crazy the amount of cattle on public lands and what they're doing to, you know, grazing and and kind of the food source. I just feel like if, if there weren't as many cattle in some of these areas, like the – the food would be so much more plentiful. Do you kind of see the same thing? Yeah. I mean, you know, the national forest service isn't, isn't getting any money from any of the elk hunters here in Colorado. Not that I know of, but they sure get a lot of money from the cattle ranchers who, you know, lease the ground to graze and what up in red and white here in the Valley, a lot of sheep, you know, sheep grazing. And, you know, when you got a drought here, that makes a difference. Um, it seemed like where I was hunting, I, I drew tang down in Unit 61 in uh, Western Colorado, and seemed where I was hunting that with the drought coupled with the seemed like an excessive amount of cattle, but there wasn't really a whole lot for the elk to eat. Um, you know, so I saw a lot of elk that were going down on private ground and going on to cropland um, to eat from quite a distance away, and then going back up, you know, to the top of the the hill where it was cool, where they could bed in the pine trees, you know, and they were doing that like every day. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of saw that, especially kind of earlier in the season when, and when it was real hot and I, I saw elk piling into private land quite a bit, you know, I think, I think the water is one thing, but they get, they also, I, I had Cliff Gray on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's an outfitter in the flat tops and he said, sure. You know, yeah, I know Cliff. Yeah. He's a good guy. And he, uh, he said food is kind of the, the biggest impact, especially in the, in the drought years and, and, uh, water, they'll find it, you know, they'll get to that, but food is the main thing. I need a lot of it. Yeah. You know, and those cow elk, so you got a lot of cow elk that are hungry and then some, you know, they, they tend to go down to those areas at night and then that's a great place for them to rut. So they like those areas where it's flat and they got lots, lots to eat and there usually tends to be water someone close by to where there's a food source if if it's a drought year it's probably an irrigated field so at some point there's got to be some water in there so yeah i mean i I saw that a lot with the cattle this year and um we actually well me and guys i know are getting started with a little non-profit that's just gonna basically try and fight for elk rights here 
Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. We were, the... we were talking about that last week. Tell us yeah. a little bit about what, what you have going on there and what's what's the plan for that whole deal. Well, you know, here in the Valley, it came to my attention that we've lost half of our elk in 15 years. So that was kind of startling. And then doing, you know, research into it, I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody really stands up for the elk. I mean, <clears throat> with the skiing community, with all the backcountry skiers and people that maybe don't realize that they're impacting uh, winter range zones, you know, what they're doing. I mean, when I used to ski in the backcountry, I didn't realize some of the places we we're going, maybe we shouldn't go. Or yeah. maybe we should establish a route up that doesn't impact bedding areas of elk or, you know, because elk need, they need quite a bit of seclusion um, compared to like mule deer does, which you'll see them like bedding in people's yards and big bucks, even like in urban areas bedding in people's yards, which you don't ever see big pictures of elk other than like Estes Park where they're habitualized to people. Yeah. They seem to like a lot of seclusion. So, you know, we started this group with the idea that, somebody's going to have to start educating the public that, Hey, you're impacting these, these animals. They're, they have a right to be here. And, you know, we, what we're doing here in the winter with our recreation or what people are doing with their, you know, livestock cultivation in the, in, in the summer areas, you know, that there has to be someone that speaks up for the elk. And I just think, you know, my friends down in Arizona with the Arizona elk society, uh, real game calls has been sponsoring them for a few years and, we sponsor the, some of the other programs they do with, the, you know, taking veterans hunting and stuff. But there's not really like anything like that in Colorado where it's like elk focused and they're focused on habitat improvement. And, you know, we have great habitat here in Colorado. We don't have problems with having to put water in the desert for the elk. But we seem to have a problem with is, you know, losing our elk populations, you know, talking to the people down in Unit 61. I have a lot of friends that, you know, that live in that area, you included. And they said the same thing, you know, they're seeing a population, you know, and everyone I talk to everywhere says that. So it just came to my attention. Somebody needs to do something. And, you know, if I'm going to be some kind of elk expert or whatever public figure, because I make elk calls, I'm fine. Then I'll use my position to, to try and help the elk if we, if we can. So yeah, that's what we're going to try and do. And so we started it and probably going to take some time to get it really going, but Everyone that I've talked to has been really supportive. I mean, I've talked to, like you mentioned, Cliff Gray. Cliff was really supportive. And just anyone I've talked to is like, how how can we help? So I think what we want to do is try and start here in the Valley with, you know, educating people that maybe educating Vail Resorts is the impact, the impact they maybe not realize that they're having, you know, and <clears throat> trying to talk people and don't go into the winter range and don't go spooking cow elk. And maybe if you don't know what you're doing, then if we educate you, then you at least realize that you're having an impact on wildlife with your, your very presence going snowshoeing in a specific area or taking your snowmobile off trail in a specific area or skinning up from a trailhead through a bedding area. You don't realize that you're doing it. If we just educate some people, you know, maybe that would be like a small place to start and we can go from there, you know, going to the forest service and saying, Hey, what's it going to take for you to, you know, in Africa, they have, you know, all these hunts that, pay for conservation they pay for the wildlife to have value in the community whereas you know if if you think about like a lion in the community nobody's going to want a lion roaming around they're just going to shoot it but if that lion's worth fifty thousand dollars they may tolerate it so perhaps going to the forest service and being like hey what what what, what's it going to take for the elk to have a place at the table you know do, do us sportsmen need to fit fit the bill and maybe if they do you know, it's just a lot of options to try and make an impact. So I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about it. And uh, Mark Estrada that's been running real game calls lately. He's been pretty excited about it. So we put a lot of energy into that lately. And uh, I've got Lauren Schrag from Good, Bell, Good Bull Out social media for it. So we'll see where it goes. But like I said, I'm pretty excited. Uh, that's awesome. Try and make some kind of positive impact. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, so. man. I, I fully support that as well. I mean, I, I read the article last, 
what was it last fall? I think it came out in the Vale Daily about the elk population, you know, being significantly down. I can't remember what it was, like half or something like that over the last, yes, you know, 10 years 50%. or something. Yeah, yeah. And and then I listened to a Meat Eater podcast, I believe, and they, and they had a conservation officer and they were talking about the same thing. And um, you're right. It's it's all about education. And, you know, like it's it's not just one group. It's not just hunters, you know, harvesting more. It's not the U.S. Forest Service. It's not just, you know, hikers, bikers, the ranchers. It's like it's everybody together. And I think if we can kind of band together and get all on the same page and just get some education on what our impact is to these animals, it's it's only going to make it better because hunting and elk, I mean, that's a huge um, you know, whether some people like to admit it or not, it's a huge, uh, revenue stream for Colorado. And if we lose that, the economy would for sure be impacted. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then, and then I, th- I think it's just going to take a, a grassroots effort to, to say, Hey, you know, we've had enough of losing our wildlife, you know, ra- maybe raising money. You know, if you've got groups that are raising money to ban spring bear hunting, then we could do the the same thing. We could raise money to fight to bring it back you know and i think that'd be a great place to start because if you mismanage your wildlife you know there's a that predator uh whatever death cycle thing that the eastman's guys talk about where yep. if you have a lot of elk and then you don't hunt the bears and and you do hunt them in the fall but i mean it's the most inefficient time to hunt them they they're sleeping all day and they're up all night feeding you know and as soon as the sun comes up they're in a bed in the brush and good luck trying to get close to them. So people blast from long distance. It's really hard to hunt them in the fall. Yeah. So you've got a really messed up management situation where you've got all these bears that then go through these elk calving areas, just eating elk calves like they're candy. I mean, and you can't blame them, but if you don't manage one and you manage the other, it won't make, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So there's no common sense wildlife management when you've got nutball groups you know, like the Humane Society and yada, yada, that are raising money to, to fight these things. So, I mean, I think it's time that we, you know, fight back. I mean, like, there's there's some good conservation groups and they're doing some things, but, like, there's a lot of really big conservation groups that I look at and see the things that they do, and I go, no, I'm not ever going to be a part of that. That doesn't make sense to me. What you're doing isn't focused on, what, on the issues that I think are important. And so and in talking to other elk hunters here in Colorado, these issues are not really being addressed. And so that's, I mean, that's something that I feel real passionate about that, you know, we need to start making a difference now. If you've lost half now in 10 years in another 10 years, what are you going to lose another 75%? I mean, that's unacceptable. So it's like stand up and fight now or prepare to, you know, whenever you talk to your buddies about over the counter elk hunts, they're going to be like, yeah, I didn't see any elk. And how sad is that? I mean, like people come here and they come from, you know, all over the country that we talk to and they come to Colorado and now they're kind of saying, Hey, I just come for the experience. I don't really ever see any elk. I mean, that's sad. So we need to do something about that. We need more elk and we need to fight for them. So that's what we're going to call it. It's called fight for elk Colorado. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see how, how long it takes to get started. Hopefully it it snowballs quickly. I mean, seems like it might, so that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's that's great. Anything I can do to help, um, you know, I'm I'm definitely on board. Cause I, I mean, even in the short time frame I've been out here and I've I've elk hunted, I've kind of I've kind of seen the decline as well. I mean, not only from the hunting perspective, but just also the impact of of just more people being out here. Um, you know, Colorado, the DOW or Colorado Parks and Wildlife, they introduced the shed ban this past year to kind of mitigate that, but you know, there was also other rules that, you know, didn't make sense. Like you could still go in the areas. You just can't pick up sheds. Well, you know, what good does that do? So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of other well, parties yeah. involved. Well, and I think that's on sportsmen, you know I mean? Like I was, I've been really active in the shed hunting community for a long time. I mean, I don't stick my head out there. I want people to know where I'm shed hunting because once they do that, their sheds get picked up. But <laughs> I mean, sportsmen need to be accountable. Like, if there's a shed hunting ban, there's a reason for it. Yeah. You know, don't go get a turkey tag and go shed hunting or don't go, Hey, now I'm a rabbit hunter. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Like if there's going to be a shed hunting ban, then you're a sportsman, then stay out. Yeah. You know, maybe get a bear tag in the fall or 
hunt some more coyotes or, you know, I don't, I don't know what you, what, what you should do with your time, but you know, I took up turkey hunting and I travel around in the spring. I mean, not, maybe not everybody has that option, but there's other things that you can do with your time other than going shed hunting. And if there's a ban, then please respect it. You know I mean? that, Like I said, that we've lost half of our elk in 15 years. What's it going to take for you to realize that, Hey, this is like a serious thing. <clears throat> These elk need seclusion when they get run they have the, you know, they, they stress themselves out and especially when this, when there's snow on the ground and what the calf, what happens to the cow elk is that they have an abortion because their body chooses to live rather than to have a calf. Yeah. So that's like a natural reaction. That's like, you know, like a fight or flight thing. Well, they, they just abort the fetus. So, you know, if you have that coupled with too many predators and, you know, we, we hunt mountain lions in Colorado and it, they don't hunt female lions, and but I'm sorry, like it's probably not an, unpo- an unpopular thing to do, but like you can't manage a population of animals by only shooting the males. That's kind of ridiculous. So, I mean, hunt some female lions, hunt some more bears, you know, cut cow tags for a while. But I mean, you have to bring cow hunt, cow elk coming back to to the previous levels. I mean, how else are you? What are you managing your wildlife for? You know, if you're able to have a, a huntable population of cow elk then you're going to be bringing more money, like you said, into the state. More people are going to be able to feed their families for $34 for, you know, a couple hundred pounds of meat. I mean, that's what the wildlife management is for. So we need to get back to a point where CPWs, you know, they're over uh, population objectives and units, and they're giving out lots of cow tags. And people are, I mean, getting to go on spring bear hunts. Imagine how much money that would bring to the state of Colorado every year if people are traveling here and they're like, yeah, Colorado has fantastic bear hunting. So I get to go there in the spring when I get to see a lot of bears and have a great time and spend a bunch of money. I mean, these things are all just common sense, and it's just sad that you have to to fight for it. So. Well, yeah. Well, that's uh, like I said, it, it takes sportsmen that you know, and the hunters that that really care. And the reason we care is because we we hunt them and we want to enjoy that. And I, you know, the average sportsman also, you know, just just loves animals. I mean, everyone thinks we're killers and ruthless, but at the same time, you know, we 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 love them. And if if we don't have that, it's it's our lifestyle, it's our livelihood. So again, I'm all I'm all for it. That's awesome. Yep. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, anyways, I could talk about that for hours. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, well, let's uh, yeah. let's transition to a little bit about real game calls. We we had you on the podcast this past summer, and we talked about you know full blown real game calls, what you have going on, you know how you got started. But just for the people who may have not tuned into that episode, or you know maybe listened to the podcast for the first time, just give us a little background on yourself, Drew, and then you know a little bit about uh, real game calls. Well, I, I'll give you the short version since I've I, I've given it. Just for the people who have never heard it, I I was a skier. I moved to Colorado in 1999. Um, I moved, you know, uh, from the Chesapeake Bay, so I grew up fishing all the time. And I wasn't wasn't really into hunting. My my mom wasn't into it. I wasn't allowed to hunt. So when I moved out here, I bought uh, a seven millimeter rem mag, and I took hunter safety, and then realized that archery season started before the rifle season. Bought a bow, started bow hunting, and that became a passion of mine. Um, the whole time I was pursuing my skiing career, you know, every September I'd be in the woods. And um, long story short, I ended up owning a part of a ski company um, out of Denver called Great Skis. And I, uh, and using the CNC mill to make ski cores, I just had this idea to make an elk call. And, um, well, you know, my friend said I was crazy. I, I made a prototype, called in some elk with it the first time we use it. And, you know, things kind of snowballed from there. And, but six years later, I'm making elk calls full time. We make deer calls, turkey calls, predator calls, um, and we, we sell stuff all over the world for like sick of deer. And uh, anyways, that's that's the long short story of how I got to what I'm doing now. So that's really cool. And and then uh, plan is to stay located in in uh, the Vale Valley area, Gypsum. I mean, I don't know really we've been growing so fast our plans who knows um we, we're going to keep our gypsum location um and we've been trying to get a store opened in there we've just been so busy you know you've come up with these grand plans and then all you can do is keep up with demand 
So I brought in uh, Mark Estrada. He was the um, head of products for Under Armour Hunt and Fish. I think he was there for like 10 years. They brought him in when they when they wanted to take that brand to another level. So I brought him in to help me run the business side of it. And I've got a whole bunch of other calls that we're working on. Um, I just finished prototyping my little mouth read for elk. I used to, you know, finish the prototyping for turkeys last spring. So I'm looking forward to trying to get that going into production here for turkeys this spring. But, you know, I, I called in my limited entry bull with it um, on Saturday and, I had to shoot him in two additional times to convince him I wasn't his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I got him on film. It's pretty awesome, man. So, yeah. yeah, we'll uh, we'll get that. into that story here in a bit. I'm I'm anxious to sure. to really relive that and you know talk about the whole season in general. Um, but you know to attest yeah. to the calls, man. I've I've been a big fan forever. The the elk reel when it came out, super easy to use. It's my go to cow cow call. It's the only thing I use and. Uh, and then you came out with the uh, bugle tubes this year, and and those have been great too. I've got I've actually got a really good story from this past year when um, or this this season when I had a couple buddies out. Um, I don't know if I've told you or, or not yet. Have I kind of told you about like the encounter with the bull that my I buddy think got you a shot? said one of your buddies came out and that you. I'm I'm saying you said you bugled a man or yeah, and then he he didn't make the best shot or something. But yeah, yeah, no, it was. Yeah, it was badass, man. I mean, we were we were middle of the day, first day. I had Dan and Ryan, um, Dan Johnson, who started Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, where this podcast is hosted. Um, I had him and and Ryan Iberg come out and uh, had him out first day. Got into some bugles, and I, this one bull was just screaming at the top of this ridge, and I figured he was bedded kind of up on the ridge and he wasn't moving anywhere because i'd hit him with a bugle and he'd answer right back and um so i was like guys let's go let's move in on him let's get aggressive and so we pushed up to what we thought was within you know 100 150 yards where he was bedded in the dark timber found this little opening i set up ryan right there and i backed down from him and i kind of started you know simulating i wanted to kind of perceive the you know, make him think that there was some cows and another bull in there, right? So started yep. started hitting the cow call, make it a bunch of different tones, muse, whatever, and then I'd hit a bugle, and he would just chuckle and bugle back. And, um, you know, as I did that, I kept backing down, backing down, wanted to kind of, you know, simulate those cows moving off, and that bull kind of rounded them up. And then I'd start raking trees, and this went on for probably 25 minutes, and he would not let's say I bugled 10 times. He answered nine of them, you know, like he was fired up and, uh, it was just so cool. It was an unreal experience. I didn't get to see the shot go down because it was in dark timber, but you know, um, I pulled him right down. Perfect cow calling and bugling with the real game calls and it, it couldn't have worked out any better. So, um, you know, big, I I just want to thank you. It was, it was a really cool encounter and, and, uh, you know, without it sounding so real and, and, me being able to do that, I don't think it would have happened. Well, that's uh, that's like, well, you're welcome. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts about this is like, just, I, I, I've hunted elk for quite a while. And like those encounters are so special. It's like that, you know, that's one of the things on my hunt this fall. Like I got so many of those encounters and like, I mean, that's talking to people and getting to, getting to hear how they use something that we made you know, to have some, that, some kind of encounter that they'll probably remember forever. It's, it's really cool. That's one of the best parts of, of making calls. It's a unique niche in the industry. You know I mean? Like you can use any rifle, you can use any bow, you can use, you know, whatever broadhead you want, whatever you think will work. But if your elk call isn't, if you're not confident in it and you don't have like a, a confidence to blow it in a clutch situation, I mean, you know, it's just a, something where people really appreciate the product you made in a, in a unique way because it helps them interact with an animal that, you know, like an archery elk hunting is, is to me, it's the pinnacle of, of sport, which is like hunting and fishing, you know, it's the original definition of sport. If you ask someone like Ted Nugent, who will go on and on about that. Um, but yeah, like to interact with a 800 pound animal that bugles at you and screams and just i mean it stimulates like every nerve and like uh instinct in your body and soul i mean so 
you help someone to, to do that, that's that's just really awesome. And then they share it with you. It, I appreciate it so much. So yeah, that's got yeah, man. Like you said, that's got to be a really cool thing about doing what you're doing. I know it's it's not easy starting a company. You know, it's it's not always uh, <laughs> roses. It's it's not always it's not always fun. All, all the time, but I'm sure when you get that, you know, testimonial or someone sends you an email or sends you a message on Instagram, like, Hey man, these calls are awesome. Um, this is what happened. I bet that feels so good. Cause I, I get the same thing too. Yeah. Like, you know, when, you know, like doing this blog thing, like it's kind of a grind, right? I mean, writing articles, doing podcasts, whatever, but every, you know, I know you personally, I know, yeah. I know how much you work. So having to do this on top of that can't be like, Hey, I'm super excited to spend another, you know, how many hours you have to do to get this launched or, you know, like sometimes it's fun, but sometimes you're just like, man, I'm tired. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. I, I get it. So Yeah. When people send you yeah, that note, yeah. like, oh man, I love that podcast or that was a, you know, a cool article or thanks for putting out that video or whatever. Like it just, you know, makes it all worthwhile. I mean, at the end of the day. Well, yeah. I mean, sure like, the same thing. you're sure you're sh- you're sharing a real experience. Like you moved to Colorado, you, you're a whitetail hunter. You, slayed a lot of eastern turkeys and you know a lot of people are in a similar you know they moved from where they moved from illinois or they moved to wisconsin from wisconsin they moved to colorado like a lot of people can identify with your podcast and I, you know i think the information it's really good so i'm Thanks, sure you man. get people that are like actually learn things that help them in the field which is pretty cool so yeah, yeah appreciate man. that i really do so, uh, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit, you know, <laughs> we all, we all know, uh, why we're here and everyone will know, you know, this going into it, but you know, I'm really interested to hear about your story of, you know, this bull that you killed over the past weekend. But, um, you know, I also want to kind of talk about your, your whole deal with drawing this tag and, you know, kind of getting started with, you know, figuring out this unit and whatnot. But, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about that, about that. So setting the stage, you drew a unit 61 archery tag. Talk to us about that. How many points did it take and well, kind of what led up to that? Yeah, well, I didn't exactly draw it. I applied for it in April and I didn't draw it. And I had uh-huh. been down there scouting in May. So um, all summer I'm working, you know, thinking I'm just going to hunt the over-the-counter units. I've been running some trail cameras. And then the end of July lady from the Division of Wildlife uh, sent me an email saying that someone had returned a 61 archery tag and that I was the next person who didn't draw and did I want it. So I was just like, hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember you called me about I, that. I, yeah, I, had a, I started calling people down there. I have some friends in uh, Nucla that own um, taxidermies of the Rockies, and I talked to the Instroms, and I talked to you, and I talked to my friend Darren in Delta, I just started like trying to get as much information as possible. And, um, you know, and then I was like, man, you know what? I waited 13 years and, and I'm like a kid in a candy store. I can't turn it down. So I took the tag and I drove down there and the day that I drove down there, the, the, there had been a wildfire down there that started like blowing up and I'm like, huh, you know, I'm like, I didn't think much of it. And, you know, it was like a thousand acres and then, as as it came closer to my season and I I was so busy at work I didn't have time to scout or whatever I started t- regretting taking the tag and the fire that fire got huge like thirty thousand acres and shut down half the unit and I was you know like every day I'd get up and check the fire report and I'd you know th- think about turning in my tag and I was like well I got till the day before the season and then it started raining like the last week like like a miracle it rained and rained and rained and it put that fire mostly out they opened up a lot of that terrain back up and I was like, all right, I have no choice. Like I can't turn it in and I'm going to go on this hunt. And so, you know, with very little scouting and like any preparation time, we, me and my friend Clay Griffiths, who, uh, he's, he's been filming turkey hunts with me for a while. And, uh, we did a little filming a mule deer last year and some whitetail stuff in Kansas. But anyways, we got excited about going. We set up a camp down there we did some scouting. And uh, I got a new ATV to ride around down there because there's there's a lot of rough country and a lot of ATV trails and you can get all over the place. But um, yeah, so we went full on into hey we're gonna try and kill a bull. We don't know we don't know a whole lot, but let's just go down there and start looking everywhere. So that's that's literally what we did. Um, we went down to Unit 61, set up camp, 
started hiking around and glassing and talking to people, talking to all the bear hunters. And, um, you know, we finally found some elk in a basin in some terrain they had opened up for the fire. And, uh, we were primarily hunting on that, in that area where they had just opened it up and man, it was awesome. You know, we got into tons of elk. Um, I didn't ever see anything big, um, until the end of the hunt, but you know, that's pretty much what I've been told. You know, the people I talked to said, Hey, the, this unit's kind of gone downhill as far as trophy quality, but there's a lot of bulls and they will bugle. And I was like, great. I mean, that's literally what I want. I have a, I have that mouth call that we're coming out with. And I have some open real calls or like open read style calls that I'm not sure if I gave you one or not, but I think I did. Yeah. And, uh, so it was great to get to test a bunch of new calls on elk, you know, and be like, Hey, <clears throat> I've tested that mouth mouth call for two years now, but that open reel was new and uh, we'll be releasing that next year. Um, and it's just like awesome to have that much interactions with elk. So we can go into a different basin every day and interact with some elk that hadn't heard it before and just see what they thought. And then we could go back in the basin where we'd interacted with elk and maybe blowing them out or see what they thought again. So yeah, it was, it was really, you know, until, until the end of the hunt, that's basically what I was doing. Just finding groups of elk, interacting with them and then uh i started running out of days and i was like well i, be- I better get serious <laughs> about finding a big one and i think that's when me and you had talked about the food you know i called you and just was asking about what you had been seeing on the over counter units down there and you were just talking about food and i was like food so i found some crop fields that had some elk in, in the evening and i found where they were bedding and that's basically how the rest of the hunt went um yeah, uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, the last couple of days, I called in a ton of bulls, and uh, the biggest one I had seen in the crop field was a uh, was a seven by eight bull, um, and he had had thirty cows. So I was like, well, I'm gonna have to get you know down real low, close close to the property boundary to even have a chance at that bull, and that's like you know a, a really really huge commitment to drop down in there and. Uh, Luckily, he had come all the way up on Saturday morning. He had lost his cows that night. Um, there was like a 326 by 6 in there that I'd, I'd almost killed him the previous night. And I was bugling at him off of a little point, And I dropped in the wind. And he literally went up onto the point with his hot cow. Or he followed her up there. I was sitting up there bugling with the extendable. And just every time he would bugle, I would just match the exact same vocalization he made and he was getting so mad he was just getting more and more hoarse and so i figured go around him get the wind do a couple of cow chirps and then bugle at him and and he would come in but by the time i got over there he literally flip-flopped with me and went over where i was and i was just like ah so the, the next day i went in there to try and hunt that bull specifically um and i ended up blowing the whole like two hours getting around them. We wanted to get to the east of them, and then we wanted to get below them because it was still kind of early, and the wind was primarily going west to east. And so we spent all this time getting around them. And in doing so, we had encountered like four other bulls that we had gotten to like 20 or 30 yards and just never really worked out. Like the wind would switch, or they'd just never be able to see us in the brush and kind of lose interest and move off. And so we get around this this herd, and and we have the whole basin firing up. I'm using that new mouth call to, to do estrus calls with it and bugling at them. And the wind switches, they all blow out of there. And, and we're literally like sitting there where they had just been bedded. I'm like sitting on the ground going, man, like this, this just figures, you know, like I'm, I have a day left. We keep, we keep blowing it today. And then that, there had been one bull that was bugling down below us and he bugles closer. And I'm just like, well, just the way the day has been going, the land's going to start going downhill again. And, I mean, this is pointless. Like, we're in a terrible position. This isn't going to work. So I just sat there, and I didn't call. And I'm kind of like, you know, I, I hunt a lot of turkeys. And I'm like, this bull is committed. So yeah, if he's going to come, he's going to – yeah, he's going to come. He's going to come. So, you know, like a five-year-old gobbler I killed in Kansas in April, like – or was that was May, like May 6th, I think it was. Once I got him to commit – I shut up, you know, and like it, it took him a little while, but he finally ended up coming in to range and he had been hung up for like two hours. So 
I just figured killing turkeys. I was like, I was just going to shut up on this bull. And I didn't call at him again until he was, I mean, he came in bugling and raking trees and it probably took him like 30 minutes. So we were just real patient, just sitting there looking at each other, you know, like the wind's going to switch and just sit here. And finally he bugles like 50, you know, 50 yards out of sight. And I'm just like, all right, now I'm going to get excited. And he comes in and he kind of, he looked right, right where we were from like a hundred yards and we never made a sound and he bugles. And so then we just, like, I literally like resisted all temptation to call at him. He, he moves off to our, uh, our right and like his left. So it would be skiers, right. As you're looking down the hill. And I'm like, man, he's like a hundred yards. He's going to skirt, skirt us. And so I called at him a couple of times, I think maybe three times real soft. Just cow and calls he, he or changed. bugles? Yeah, just cow call. Okay. Just cow called at him. Got it. Yeah, with um, with, with that mouth call, just as like as soft as I could. Like, I mean, exactly like when you're turkey on, you know, you just kind of give him a couple of clucks just to let him know yeah. this is the direction you need to come without trying to like let him know exactly where you are. So I literally mute at him like three times, kind of like, and then he walks in to the shooting lane I just ranged. So I ranged it at 67 yards and I'm like, well, yesterday I killed a turkey at 44 yards. So I was feeling pretty confident. <laughs> I put my 60 pin on him, squeezed off the shot. And it literally went three inches over his back. And I was like, Oh, I had a bad range. So they're like, lo- like lovesick. And he kind of dips his head and look- looks around and like, he's just love drunk. And within three seconds, I put my 50 pin on him and, and, and I, I double lunged him and, he turns and comes straight towards us. Like he didn't even care. Like he was still looking for those cows. So he came in, comes walking into, I think he was like 30 yards and I'm like, I could see his chest and he's walking straight at me. So I shot him square in the chest and then doesn't react to that. He kind of like, just like takes a couple of fast steps and stops in front of me at 20 yards. I'm, I'm mute at him and stopped him or I'm mute at him and calmed him down. I can't really remember, but, I ended up shooting him again. So I'm like, I shot him from the left into the left side and I wasn't really sure of his body angle. So I knew I got the, the, the right lung. And so he, then he's facing me to the left. So I'm like, I'm going to shoot him. He's kind of quartering towards me. I'm like, I'm going to shoot him right through his shoulder blade and put one into his other lung just to make sure. Yeah. So I ha- I hammered him right there. I mean, we filmed the whole thing. It's like an in looking for the cows and I literally had to convince him that, that we weren't. My camera guy was like, man, I thought he was going to run us over. Well, and I was like, well, yeah, it was pretty fun, man. Like it was a, it was an awesome experience. You know, he come, he came in bugling antlers around and yeah, I was, dude, that's, that's yeah, crazy. Pretty much, that's crazy. I've, I've yeah, seen like rifle, much. you know, like where, you know, like they say, don't, don't stop shooting till he goes down. Don't stop shooting till he goes down. Um, this kind of sounds like one of the same scenarios that he just fired up big bull and like he just he was he was a dead bull walking pretty much what it sounds like yeah well i mean that's well experience with elk hunting it's like you know sometimes things don't go right and if you have an all question about your shot with i mean you need to shoot an elk till he falls down because if he runs off out of sight and he doesn't go down and you're in the mountains then that turns into just like it's misery it's miserable it, it hardly ever goes right and it's like you're going to expend days worth of energy and years worth of misery and like regret so that's why i always tell people if you just if that's an elk you just keep shooting at him as, as long as you can so i literally shot all my arrows because i missed i missed a grouse earlier in the day there's one <laughs> i shot over the bull by three inches so there goes two then i shot him double lung and then I shot him in the chest like straight on in the heart and he like literally keeps walking like so that's how tough they are and then my fifth arrow I shot him at 20 yards through his left shoulder into it and, like I got like half an arrow's penetration so this guy keeps you know he keeps on trucking after that he goes another 60 yards with a hole in his chest and holes in both of it you know on both sides of him as long so I mean that they're tough Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're wild animals, man. I, they're, like I said, you gotta get, you gotta give them the respect. And if you put a, put a first shot on them and they don't go down, keep shooting if you can. Um, that just, that just sounds amazing. So you, you, uh, 
So what was that like? I mean, after you, after you, did you see him go down? Did you hear him crash? Tell us a little bit about the recovery. Fell and took out like three aspen trees and split, well, like dead aspen trees and slid down the slope. So I pretty much knew he was down. Then I could hear him, you know, I could hear him like take his last breath down there. You know, what, when he couldn't, you know, I, anyway, so we sat down for like 20 minutes and then we couldn't take it anymore. We ran down there. Sure enough, that's exactly where he was. So it was, uh, it was all misery after that, but, um, <laughs> that's just because, yeah, even in these limited entry units, I was only really finding really quality bulls in the absolute worst place to pack them out. And I mean, people ask me around here in these over the counter units, where are the elk? Go look around and be like, that's the worst place that I'd want to pack an elk out. You know, like above private property where you have to go back up straight uphill. That's a good spot to find elk. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's, that's really yeah, good that's, advice. That's basically. Yeah. So basically that's where we found the elk was in this hole that you literally had to take them straight back up out of. So between the rest of that day and the rest of the next, you know, half of the next day, uh, me and, uh, Jake Estrada, who's Mark Estrada's son was out there with me and, and uh, he's 19 years old. And I think he has a NCAA collegiate high jumping record. So luckily I had him with me. <laughs> he's <laughs> a good guy to have. Things out of there. Yeah. So, yeah. How grueling um, was that? Was that like a couple days worth of, of packing? Like were you guys just mentally and physically just drained after that? Tell us about the grueling. Pack after, out. after we took the last load out, yeah, we were pretty drained, but like, I mean, just taking the hams out and, and when you're going up 60 degree slope carrying a ham and, and I'm not a big guy. So, I mean, I think I weigh like 160 pounds. So I'm carrying 90 pounds uphill. I, I, I'm buying some pack goats. <laughs> Me and, I know, you know, my friend Clay Griffith out in Kansas. Yep. Clay's got a whole bunch of bighorn sheep in a pen and uh, he was filming when he had to go home to, and his sheep bread and I'm you know, I'm like, I don't know a whole lot of people that that have to go leave to go get their 30 bighorn sheep bread, but that's where Clay is right now. I love Clay, um, dude. He's fucking awesome. Yeah, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna get some pack goats, man, because I'm I'll turn 40 on October 2nd, and I am done pulling an elk out of a hole like that. We'll just bone it out, take the goats down there, and they can carry it out. You know, we'll give them some treats or something. So. <laughs> I got to break some extra carrots. Yeah, I got to shed on dogs. There's no reason not to have some goats to pack them out, especially if Clay's going to host them out there by his sheep. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. I've actually seen people doing that, though. I mean, like they, the there's things there's a kind of a reason to goats. I mean, they can't handle a ton, a ton of weight like a horse, but like they don't require the same amount of water, food. Um, you know, they, they just don't require the same amount of work. So they're, they're kind of more popular in that aspect. Well, I just like, I like them because my friend Gary McKenzie, he's a, a skier from uh, Wyoming. He lives in Idaho. I'm not sure if he's from Wyoming or Idaho. I think Alta, Wyoming is you drive through Idaho to get into it, but you can't get into it from Wyoming. So anyways, he lives up there and, uh, he's the first person I knew that had packed out a bull like two or three years ago with some goats. And he just told me that they can literally walk through any terrain, no matter where you kill your bull straight up to it. And then you pack it from there. And I'm like, I've been intrigued by that idea ever since. Like <laughs> that's just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Work smarter, not harder. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, like if I had, if, if I'm making calls and trying to, to commercialize it, like we figure out, you know, a more efficient way to do stuff so that we can do more of it. Right. You know, like, I don't know, you know, so if I had a set of pack goats and, you know, I, I might've gotten a, to a, uh, archery season hunting mule deer instead of packing elk. So yeah. it's all about efficiency. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Um, so you were, you were talking a little bit about kind of where you found this bull um, was that an area that you had kind of previously maybe digitally scouted before you went there? Or is this a completely new area that you were just like, ah, no, I, there's food I, there, let's go? Well, luckily I had went to, I went, I went down there in May after I applied for the tag and I was like, I better, before the draw came out, I was like, I better go down there and at least 
get some idea of the unit, you know, drive around. And so I drove around the unit all day long, you know, I went down there in the morning and I saw one cow elk and I was like, something is up. You know, all these ranchers are putting their cattle up there. So I was like, I'm going to go drive around the bottom and just see what I can find. So at dusk, I drove around some of the crop fields down low and I found tons of elk. And that's when I was like, you know, at the end of my season, I had just not seen the bull. I had not seen the bull that I, that I really wanted to shoot except for in one basin and we had been on him. So I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday morning. We drop off the vibe road, like all the way to the bottom of this huge basin. And we are like 120 yards from this bull. He's on the other side of this point and I can see his cow. And there had been one cow and I'm like, the, the bull didn't leave that cow. There she is. So me and Claire are like sitting there on the point. We're sitting there talking about strategy. And here comes a helitack helicopter oh, no. for the fire, you know. And I'm like, what does he want? And he comes and like dips <laughs> down, flies right over us. Elk goes screaming out and across the burn area and just into no, gone. Oh, damn. And I'm just like, ah. so we like, you know, we hike around the basin the rest of the day. And like, like, maybe we should try and go back after that bull and then, and he starts pouring rain on us. We hike back to our truck, and they had left us a note saying that we are. They, they said we are now in a closed area. So I was just like, man. So we have this bullpen down that I wanted to shoot, and you know he's maybe like three ten, three thirty, something like that, six by six. But he was the best bull we had found. So I just we had to go home. I had to go home and get some work done. Clay had to go back to Kansas to do a sheep thing, and <laughs> so I came back, and that's when I called you, man. I was just so bummed. I was like, dude, I was on a bull. And I don't know where to look now. So I went back and looked down low the night I drove back and I found all those same elk. And I was just like, now I just need to figure out how I can access where, where are they betting? How can I access? And yep. as soon as I figured that that information, I walked down like the first 15 feet into that basin. And I made a couple of cow sounds with the elk reel. Bull just lights up. He comes in, he was like a decent 286 by six. He comes in, never really gives me a shot. Two of his cows come in. They win me. Like, they go around me like they're, you know, <laughs> private investigator. They come <laughs> in, they were like 30 yards, and then they circle me, and I'm just like, ah, okay, I'm, I'm had. So they ran off. Then I called in a 5x5. A five five. I started bugling with that extendable, and I called him in, and he maybe came in to like 50 yards, started trying to circle me downwind too and i was like no i'm not gonna have this and i I literally just started running at him bugling and tried to chase him off like a herd bull and all i had was a tactic cam so like my footage is really shaky but i have some really cool footage of like that bull literally got scared backtracked the way he came and ran down like downhill he never even he never even got close to winning me like I, i got like 20 yards from him you going at him from the other side of a tree and like he just turned around and went back the way he came walked off like with his tail between his legs it was awesome <laughs> that's so cool that's so cool yeah so, and then yeah i mean like i just kept i just kept having more and more encounters in those basins that were above those particular fields that those elk were uh feeding in at night so that's awesome you know i mean that's yeah that's how that's how my hound ended that's how i ended up finding my bull I, I, like I said, I'd seen him out in one of the crop fields. Um, you know, my apologies to the landowner if you're a hunter, but you know, he's betting <laughs> on public land and I am a public land hunter and I will absolutely take advantage of that situation. And I uh, appreciate them providing the habitat, for the elk, <laughs> you know, because there doesn't seem to be the forest service doing the same thing. So that really lit a fire under me too. I mean, like here's this great unit in Colorado. And, you know, has this legendary reputation, at least from what I understand. You know, I remember reading this article in Easton's like at least 10 years ago about this guy called in like 50 bulls and unit 61. And, you know, he called in a bunch of 350s and he shot one and said it was the best hunt that he ever been on. And so ever since I read that, I was like, you know, that, that that's one unit that I'm interested in hunting. I, I like interacting with elk and that sounds awesome. Like if you want... Dude, that'd be my advice to people. Like, <clears throat> do you want to draw unit 61? Do you have enough points to do it? I would say to those people that the trophy quality is not as good as some of those units that I've been up in Northwest Colorado. Yeah. But there are a lot of elk that you can interact with 
there's at you know you're going to be in the aspen forest it has more of a mountain feel to me than those you know those pinion juniper units yeah um it's just more of like a class what you think of a classic elk hunt should be and there's a lot of five by fives and small sixes that will bugle and come in and you know you get to have an awesome experience so and this... you're going to work your butt off yeah so, but it's i thought it was worth the points yeah so for people sure keep asking me online like, what do you think, or what's your opinion? Yeah, I have 16 points. Should I draw next year? Yeah, if you want to have an awesome experience and maybe shoot, you know, I think my bull maybe goes like 320 something. If if I fixed all the points, I don't know what he would score, but whatever. Who cares? Like, it's like not really about the score. It was about the experience, you know, and I called in the biggest bull I could find. And I mean, like, I would absolutely recommend that if you had that amount of points that I had, that you know, spend them on unit 61. It was fun. Yeah. 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 It sounds like an amazing experience. And, uh, you know, I love the, I love the Aspens, man. I love hunting in the Aspens. Is that kind of where you were concentrating on too? Like some of these, these basins that had these Aspen draws and benches, is that kind of where you killed them or is it more dark? Yeah. Stuff? I mean, yeah, I, I shot my bull in, in an Aspen forest. So I, I just think I had this like romantic idea of like, I wanted to hunt in an Aspen forest and that, that didn't mean that like, you know, I wasn't above we dropped into the oak brush so many times, like trying to, trying to get on them in there is a little bit more difficult because of the, the visibility and the, the shooting lanes are just in some of those places. Like that's that morning that I shot that bull. That's why a couple of my hunts got messed up. Cause like we got stuck in a spot where like there's no shooting lane. So yeah. it's like, okay, well let's try and move. And as soon as you move, you give up your position. When you give up your position, then the elks are able to, to wind you. So, like, I think the idea to, to, to call them in and not give up your position is, like, kind of, that's kind of, like, if you can do that, let them know where you are, but not let them know exactly where you are. Like, get them, like I said, when when I had the bull coming in and I shut up, because I don't want him to know exactly where I am, because the first thing he's going to do is try and circle me. Yeah. You know, if, if that's a seven-and-a-half-year-old, eight-and-a-half-year-old bull, and you're in a unit that gets hunted, well, like I said, I was calling in a bunch of five and, you know, five and six points that were small. Like they're going to learn from that experience. I'm sure, you know, I ran into one other hunter in there and he was intent on calling in, uh, the bull that was, you know, that we were on. So they get called at, so they get, you know, that's, that's going to be a reaction of elk on over the counter units and any limited entry unit, like in Arizona, where you're shooting a 10 year old bull or 11 year old bull. I always tell people like that bull is so much smarter than the five, five, five that you might be hunting on the over the counter unit. But that, that's their reaction so if you can if you can call them in without giving up your position you've, you've won like a, a huge battle that they don't exactly know where you are and that's where my bull came in he was doing that uh he was doing that like kind of low volume higher pitch bugle that they're doing when they're just like trying to say hey like hey woman that's, <laughs> that's basically what I think they're trying to say hey where are you i'm i'm here where are you? And, and so that's what he, he came in doing that. I, it was pretty cool, man. Yeah. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll show you the footage before uh, we end up putting it up. So. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and, uh, he's a, he's a six by eight, seven by eight. He's a sweet looking bull. Yeah. Yeah. He's a seven by eight and he's got a ton of mass. I mean, he's kind of got shorter points, but like I said, I, people would keep asking me what he scores. And I was just like, perfect. He scores perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> like he's got eight points on his right hand. And he's got seven points on his left. I was like, you know, like I'm, I kind of like had this thing in my back of my mind where I wanted to shoot seven by seven. So whatever he scores, like I got a seven by eight and like, I'm thrilled. Like we filmed the whole thing. I filmed so much awesome stuff on this hunt. Like I used to be a skier that like was in the, uh, you know, like I was the focus of the film or like they would film me or maybe taking a picture of me. So like, I like creating like digital art, if you will, like going out and filming hunts like that interests me so much, like going out and filming turkey hunts or deer hunts or whatever, like elk hunting, especially like what you're filming. And then you can show like the experience you had. And I don't know. And then I watch it again, like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I'd be like, Hey, that's my unit 61 bull. So, That's so cool. It was it was it was a great experience. Yeah, I remember you telling yeah. me this past week. You're like, man, I've got so many good encounters on video and and so many elk on video that 
all I need is just the kill. You know, I need, I need one. And then, and then you got it. So this is, I'm really looking forward to that. When, when is that going to drop? When do you think you're going to release the video? I have no idea. You, you probably, that'd probably be a better question for Mark. I don't know <laughs> what, what our plan will be for it. Um, we'll have to sit down and talk about like a marketing strategy, especially since I used a call that's not released yet to kill the bull. I don't want people to, you know, like, yeah, Hey, I need, well, archery season is kind of over, but that mouth call for turkeys and elk, it, it's a little bit different the way you play it, but, um, the sound tone and like the quality of the sound for turkeys is, is, is my opinion, like completely unmatched. And for calling as a cow elk call for mouth, same kind of thing. Like, the the accuracy of the tone and just the controllability you have with it and why why it functions the way it does you know it's it's a one piece of plastic call that has our like patented system in it you know and wow anyways so yeah i think i'll maybe show it to you but if you've seen the mouthpiece of the bugle just imagine the mouthpiece of the bugle it fits in the roof of your mouth and then you can you know make all kinds of vocalizations it has a little bit different tone Wow, so that's really cool. That bugle, that that bugle that we made, that was significant. I honestly don't think, I I don't think I can do any better than that as far as like what you, what you can do sound quality with it. But um, for people that like to be hands free, um, we'll keep working on the the mouth call. I think it's doing like a young bull bugle right now. It's pretty awesome. Um, I think it's really great for lip balling at them, trying to be really hoarse. But I'd like it to have another year of, of, uh, development before we release a bugle version. So I think it'll be that single read cow call, uh, younger bull version that we release first. So yeah, that's ex- I'm excited about that. I'm, like I said, I've been working on it for years. I mean like years and years and three years of product development. So, uh, when it comes out, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty cool to see people's reaction. Yeah. So, yeah. And that video, you know, you killing the bull and calling it in, that's only going to be further proof in the pudding. So that's, that's great, man. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> for you and excited to see that come out. Yeah, man. No, thank you. I appreciate it. So, uh, hard work pays off, they say. So that's what happened on my hunt and hopefully, you know, that will continue to happen with a real game call. So, you know, we, we've, we've had so much trouble keeping up with demand. I mean, it's been such a crazy experience, you know, like our customers, like we make the best cow elk call. So once people start to figure it out, you know, it's been, like I said, a crazy experience. So as we grow for the future and I bring in some people and build like a, you know, we had this idea. We're just going to build a really big, really great team around a really great product and offer really great customer service. And, you know, I mean, I think that's like a winning strategy. So that's great, um, dude. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's wrap this up, man. I've kept you here long enough. Great story. Sure. Great hunt. Great company. Great conversation. And uh, really appreciate you coming on, Drew. We'll, we'll definitely have you back. Talk some more strategies some new products and and we'll go from there. So, again, appreciate you and, and you have a great evening. Yeah, man. It's always fun talking to you. You have a good night yourself and uh, I'm sure we'll chat soon. All right, there we go. Another episode in the books. Big thanks to Drew for coming on the show. That was a blast hearing the story, the heart-pounding encounters, you know, waiting the years to to get that tag and it all coming together on the very last weekend of a month-long season. So uh, big shout-out to Drew. Congrats again. Happy for you, man. And uh, can't wait to see, see you do it again. Hopefully you'll top it next year. <laughs> you never know. So, um Definitely check out transitionwild.com. I've got pictures of Drew's bull on there where I've posted the podcast. You can check out Drew on Instagram. You can follow Real Game Calls, see all the photos there. But just a smoker bull, something that you dream of. And, uh, you know, like I said, couldn't be happier for you. So uh, good work, Drew. <laughs> Again, thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe to the podcast. Go to sportsmansnation.com. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever, and leave us that review. We we really appreciate it. We really appreciate the listeners for tuning in. Um, I've done some giveaway stuff lately on the blog. I've, I've uh, recently wrapped up a partnership kind of promo with Food Saver. Gave away a... Uh, 
food saver, vacuum sealer. So that's pretty cool. And I've got other giveaways planned in the near future. I've been kind of slacking on that, but I've got some products. Um, I've got some real game calls. I've got some other stuff. I've got some transition wild hats and tees I want to send out. So stay on the lookout for that. A lot of that's going to be uh, promoted through my subscriber email list on transitionwild.com. So if you haven't yet subscribed there, go do that. Send me your email. You're going to be eligible to, to win some cool stuff. And at the same time, I'll send you the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide for free. So when you subscribe to transitionwild.com, you give me your email. I won't spam you, I swear. Uh, I will send you that beginner guide, which basically kind of gets you started with elk hunting in Colorado from scouting to planning to gear to when to hunt, where to hunt, um, rifle and archery, and kind of all the above. Gets you started, gets you inspired, get the wheels turning a little bit. So, um, you know, definitely subscribe. You get that freebie, but you're also going to be, you know, eligible for some of these giveaways that I'm going to be doing over the next month. So make sure you do that. Much, much appreciated. Um, what else? What else? Um, you know, go visit realgamecalls.com. Check them out there. Um, you know, great product. Love it. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Heads Up Decoy. Make sure you check them out. If you plan on doing some whitetail hunting or mule deer hunting, they got decoys for everything. So headsupdecoy.com. And that is it. Hope you guys are getting outside, getting pumped for hunting. I know whitetail season's kicking off in a lot of states or has already kicked off, but uh, October seems to be that first month and then getting into the rut in November. So can't wait for that. All right, well, I'll let you go. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.